Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. And we are back with a new refreshed look and name. Yes, you heard it correctly. Our new name is Clear Thinking. This podcast will continue to be centered on Christian apologetics, theology, and philosophy topics. And we'll be recording new episodes with Ken and Dave. Guys, it's good to see you. In fact, let's uh, hear you, hear your voices. How you doing? I, I'm doing great. I'm, uh, as uh, some of you know, I had some health issues recently, but I'm back uh, vertical instead of horizontal. So glad to be here with uh, Ken and Joe. I too am here, Joe and Dave. Good to be with you guys. I was out for a while as well, but it's nice to be back with some brand new programs. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I I love the new name, Clear. A um, couple of reasons I like that. One, uh, clarity is so important to reasoning. You know, that's where reasoning gets mixed up when things are lack clarity. I also like it because... Uh, I have a regular topic that I present where I use the acronym C-L-E-A-R, CLEAR, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want to invite everybody to, to get ready for some really good programs. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Ken. So on we go with CLEAR thinking. Uh, Ken, as you mentioned, based on one of your acronyms, CLEAR, we're going to get into that uh, in just a moment, but let me just... Uh, tell you what the C-L-E-A-R refers to, cosmos, life, ethics, abstractions, and religion. So having set it up, guys, uh, Ken, let's uh, take it from there. Yeah, I like this word clear. And Joe, as you said, it, it represents some very important areas of life, uh, the cosmos, uh, life, ethics, abstractions, and religion. What I like to do is uh, I reason that these are clear pointers to God. These realities, uh, the best explanation of these realities is that they point to God. And uh, I like to refer to it as kind of uh, best explanation apologetics. So today I want to talk a little bit about uh, these issues, uh, these areas within the uh, acronym CLEAR, and I want to compare and contrast the Christian worldview a little bit with naturalism and with kind of what I would call an Eastern worldview, and see see who has the best explanation. Wonderful. So again, this is uh, best explanation apologetics. Is that is that what you said? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Terrific. Well, you know, when you... Uh, when you think about uh, these particular worldviews, um, you know which which worldview seems to have the best explanation. That's one way of testing a worldview. Does your worldview uh, explain meaningful realities of life? Let me give you a quotation here by Richard Swinburne. Uh, his thinking is uh, very similar to mine, or my thinking is similar to his. He says, scientists, historians, and detectives observe data and proceed thence to some theory about what best ex explains the occurrence of this data. We find that the view that there is a God explains everything we observe, not just some narrow range of data. It explains the fact that there is a universe at all, that scientific laws operate within it. 
that it contains conscious animals and humans with very complex, intricately organized bodies, that we have an abundant opportunities for developing ourselves in the world, as well as the more particular data that humans report miracles and have religious experiences. Well, that's uh, that's what I would call best explanation uh, apologetics, where Swinburne is saying that the the idea that God exists, and of course he means um, the theistic God, but in in looking at uh, miracles, he's he's also bringing in uh, elements of Christianity. So what I'd like to do is to is to just look at each of these uh, five areas. Let's let's again go back to the cosmos. You know, uh, the cosmos, according to Big Bang cosmology, Dave, the cosmos has a singular beginning. Now there are people who question that, but that is uh, that is the basic perspective on the universe that that there was a beginning. The universe or the cosmos, of course, exhibits tremendous order, uh, fine tuning, uh, and it's in, it's intelligible. And when we look at those realities, um, I mean, which worldview best explains that? I, I think it's pretty clear if naturalism is true, that the material world is all there is. Uh, those, are, those are some difficult issues. Uh, a, a universe that begins would be incompatible with naturalism, it seems to me anyway. And it would seem that order and complex fine-tuning and intelligibility would be kind of an odd fit uh, for the naturalist worldview. Maybe we should say, you know, we're shocked that the universe is so well designed to allow for, for complex life and that human beings would have the, um, the intellectual abilities to track the intelligibility of the universe. I think that uh, is very difficult for the naturalist worldview to uh, to explain. I also think that Eastern mysticism or Eastern views of God, sometimes the idea that uh, you know that knowledge and truth are 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 God is beyond those kind of categories. So I see this fitting well, Dave. I wonder what you're thinking there about the cosmos. Yeah, I, just a comment about uh, you mentioned that there are those that would disagree with the, you know, the beginning, and I think maybe a, a better way of saying it is that that they can't deny that there's a beginning of our universe, but they want to make the cosmos bigger than our universe and speak about a multiverse, which of course is a an, a speculation. There isn't any clear evidence that there's a multiverse. It's almost untestable, uh, but they use that as an explanation for the beginning and the fine-tuning of our universe. And I think it's important for people to realize that this is just a speculation that is, in, in a sense, uh, metaphysics in the same sense that they would argue our belief in God and that God is the originator of our universe. Uh, so they're, they're really in the same boat that we are as far as speculating about how this universe came into being that we live in. Talk to us, Dave, a little bit about this. It seems to me that the old argument from design, uh, the teleological argument, 
has really gone to a high level when you start talking about complex fine tuning. What 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 are the things that are fine tuned, so to speak, uh, to allow for intelligent life? W- would that be the fundamental constants? What what are what's involved there? Yeah, there's a a, a large number of what you call fundamental uh, physical constants that uh, are part of the equations that we've developed over the years to to uh, understand what is going on within our universe. Uh, these constants include things like the constant of gravitation or the speed of light or uh, another was called the fine structure constant. Uh, there's there's a, a number of these that are exquisitely fine-tuned that if they were slightly different and by slightly, I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, one part and in some cases, one part in 10 to the 15. So it's uh, exquisitely fine-tuned that if they were different by that amount, uh, that we would not be in a universe that could support life. Yeah. And uh, and so that's, and, and then of course, in addition to all of these, what we would call physical constants, there's environmental constants. When you look at the environment, that we live in, the Earth being in the certain place in the solar system, in its relationship to our sun. What kind of a sun do we have? Where does this sun exist in the galaxy in which we live? Where is the galaxy in terms of other galaxies that make up these large clusters of galaxies? All of these are kind of environmental parameters that are also exquisitely fine-tuned, not to the same degree as the physical constants, but yet fine-tuned to allow for the possibility of life to exist on this planet that we live. And it and it really seems like for science to work, we have to have the right kind of world. That is, it has to be a world that has the necessary presuppositions or assumptions that go into the world. But also human beings have to, uh, they have to, you have to have the right kind of beings that can track intelligibility. That's, that's a very difficult uh, thing to explain in terms of naturalism. And uh, I think it would be a miracle, uh, which again gets us back to that question, which worldview seems to fit best in its explanation of these things? Well, guys, let's move on to the uh we talked about C, the cosmos. Let's talk about the L, life. You know, in philosophy, we talk about things like human consciousness. Where, where does human consciousness come from? Why do human beings have uh, intelligibility, that intentionality? Why are we able to think about things? Uh, you know, uh, not just things that exist, things that may not exist. How about free agency, that people have bare real choices, make choices and are are responsible agents? And then uh, I always like to bring in uh, Pascal's enigmatic nature of human beings. Human beings seem to be a, a, a riddle because they have, uh, they reflect what Pascal called greatness and wretchedness. Now, the Christian point of view there is the greatness um, would be the Imago Dei. Humans do extraordinary things. They have incredible capacities. Uh, 
they seem to be um, exceptional creatures, if you will. And yet, uh, human beings are also broken, fallen. Uh, sin, original sin, seems to be able to explain a great deal of that. I think it's difficult for alternative worldviews to to have both of those to be able to explain uh, those kinds of uh, those kinds of issues. And then, of course, uh, giving real meaning to the world. If God exists, it gives real meaning to the the world in which we live. So, any comments about that that second one, life? I, I guess I would like to just make one comment about uh, life at a little more fundamental level. I've had occasion in the last few weeks, actually since I've had health issues, to read uh, books by uh, Behe, the, the Darwin's Black Box, and some of his later books that talk about uh, evolution and uh, the limits of evolution, and also uh, Fazrana's books, uh, The uh, Origin of Life, a book that he and he wrote, and then uh, the cells design, and to me, it's just um, absolutely amazing the design that has gone in to our individual cells. When you are able to look down, as we are able to do with the technology that we have today, look at the cell and see what an incredibly complex device it is, uh, uh, just with millions of components, things that are going on within that cell. It's like a huge city with uh, vehicles moving things around and, and then, of course, processes taking place, building proteins. I mean, it's just absolutely how someone can come away with a, uh, an understanding of what's going on within the cell and, and think that this is just somehow coming about through random processes without any guidance from a supernatural source. I, it's just incomprehensible to, uh, incomprehensible to me. It's just an amazing, complex uh, uh, entity that we, uh, that we are, you know, the most complex thing that there is in the universe. Well, if you start to kind of you know, line up these ideas. I mean, why did the why did why did the universe have a, a, a beginning? Why does it reflect fine tuning? Why are human beings? Why do we have the capacity to track the intelligibility? And then you throw in something like consciousness. If there's no God, then then these things are just brute realities. There's there's no real explanation for them whatsoever. Um, or the explanation, I mean, what's the better explanation that consciousness emerged um, accidentally from non-conscious realities or that there's a mind behind the universe? That's exactly right. I, I think that God, as uh, Swinburne says, God provides a, an explanation for these things. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, these things remain deep mysteries. Yeah. Uh, Ken, a comment and really a, uh, an encouragement for people to listen to this podcast as we go forward. The, one of the uh, components you mentioned there was meaning. Somebody might say, uh, I don't think life has meaning. Well, if you listen to Ken podcasts, Ken's podcasts, uh, especially clear thinking, you'll learn to assert that, well, that was a meaningful statement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think when people, you know, raise questions about the issue of meaning, I I really appreciate uh, C.S. Lewis. He, you know, he says uh, if if we're meaningless creatures, we we should never have come to the meaningful understanding that life is meaningless. And and he raises questions like, you know, fish in water, do they know they're wet? No, they 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 have no uh, they they have no awareness of that. There's no contrast to that. Uh, you know, he talks about creatures with no eyes. Would they would they know? Uh, you know that they're blind. Uh, it seems to me that these are really very important ideas. And I don't think without God, I don't think human beings have the wherewithal, the ability to control realities and actually bring meaning to their life. Now, not everybody's going to agree with me there, but I think life having real meaning, uh, God is a, a very powerful explanation for that. Okay, let's move to the E. Again, if you're if you're listening, we're talking about this uh, acronym CLEAR, which we're naming our podcast, CLEAR Thinking, C-L-E-A-R. The E is for ethics. And, you know, there's something unique about ethics. Um, ethics are not merely descriptive, they're prescriptive. Uh, that is, when I am, when I, my conscience is, uh, you know, driving me to either do or not do, I feel a, a sense of, of obligation, uh, a sense of ought. And it's difficult to, to explain a ought or a, a, a prescriptive idea of ethics without there being something objective. And so this idea of objective morality, that there are certain things that are right, uh, justice, um, you know, courage, uh, wisdom, there are things that are wrong, uh, you know, uh, doing harm to people, uh, torturing children for the fun of it, uh, objective morality. And I, I think what's interesting here is uh, there are many people who are not theists who say they believe in objective morality, but but how do you ground it? Uh, J.L. Mackey said, one of the leading atheists of the 20th century, he said that uh, the idea of objective morality is so odd that if it existed, it would have to come from God. But of course, Mackey, you know, he bit the bullet and he said, there are no objective morals. So a lot of people talk about ethical duties and ethical values, but but what grounds them? What, what makes them really obligated? And, you know, I would tell you that uh, the idea that murder or rape is wrong to me, that's as clear as the fact that I'm sitting here in my office talking with you guys on our podcast today. Um, nobody has to tell me that those things are wrong, uh, but but how are they grounded? Hmm. Uh, Ken, a question from someone who might say, uh, I, I think morality is subjective. That is, uh, you picked it up because you're in America and maybe Europe uh, has joined America in uh, a, a type of morality. But if you go to other places around the globe, uh, it's different. How do you respond to that? 
Well, I, I don't think that there's enough real reflection on on the differences of of morality. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes we have customs, we have things that kind of uh, change. But when you look at uh, when you look at the uh, the religions of the world, um, all of the major religions of the world, including Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Confucianism, Joe, they all have the second five of the Ten Commandments. This is why C.S. Lewis in his book, The Abolition of Man, he calls it the Tao. There is this natural law, if you will. Uh, and so I don't think uh, I don't think people are thinking deeply about the very nature of some of those things. Uh, of course, somebody can just you know, dismiss them, but I don't think that mere culture or or even um, evolutionary ideas provide a, a grounding for morality. Uh, and again, if God doesn't exist, then there doesn't appear to be any way to way to ground it. At least not from as from my vantage point. That's what I would concur. There, um, you know, the first book or first section of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Yeah. Attempts to address this very question that you're asking, Joe. <laughs> and and I think he does a good job of showing that in, in all cultures, there is some degree of oughtness that men uh, acknowledge that there are things that they should do, but they don't do. They fall short of. And that's kind of a a major step in acknowledging an absolute morality. I find it absolutely amazing that someone like Mackey would be so against the idea of believing in a God that he would accept that there is no absolute morals. It, just what you were talking about a moment ago, I, I just find that's amazing. It is It is very much amazing. I, I think... I think he recognized that if he was going to hold that worldview, um, you know, he would either have to bring God into it, but to leave God out meant there's no objective basis. And that chapter in Mere Christianity, you know, you have the abolition of man, which is very heady. You have Mere Christianity. It's more understandable. But he talks about right and wrong as as clues to the meaning of the universe. That's right. And he says that, you know, that we, when we talk with each other, uh, we appeal to a sense of justice or a sense of fairness. But he also concludes that there's a big problem. Uh, none of us live up to it. Uh, yep. There's a problem in it. So, yeah, very good. Well, let's move to uh, maybe a uh, an area that that is uh, uh Con that that is interesting because it deals with abstractions. These, of course, are things you can't see, you can't touch. Uh, they refer to things like numbers, propositions, the laws of logic, universals, theoretical models. Um, you know, we we appeal to these all the time in science. There is a, an appeal to mathematics. That math seems to be. The language of the universe. I would say that logic is kind of the language of of thinking itself. Well, where do these where do these realities come from? 
Uh, are they just invented? It's difficult to, to conceive of numbers and the laws of logic uh, being mere constructs that we invent. But if God exists, and particularly the biblical God, uh, these ideas, uh, these concepts, you know, fit very well. And one of the challenges that we have is that when people want to figure out questions, they often appeal to the the, the abstract toolbox. Uh, we appeal to mathematics. We appeal to logic. We we appeal to things that appear to be universal. Uh, these are non-physical. Um, now again, not all naturalists are materialists. That that is true. But it's, it seems difficult for me to understand how these abstractions could come, uh, given, given naturalism. So, Dave, how important has mathematics been to uh, doing science in the modern world? Well, I, you know, you can't write down an equation for uh, how the Earth travels around the sun or the moon around the Earth if you don't have mathematics. And, uh, you know, I think that the real scientific revolution that took place in the, uh, you know, the 17th and 18th centuries was because mathematics began to be understood and how to apply mathematics to, uh, to the problems of physics and, and ultimately chemistry and all the other areas of science that we do. So mathematics is critical. And very interesting. Uh, it's fun. Mathematics for for a person like myself was always a lot of fun. All the little puzzles and all the little strange things that pop up in the various number theories and and uh, it you know it's just it's it's not only interesting and abstract but very practical in being able to uh, write down equations that describe. By the way, these equations are not, in the view of a scientist, they are not the truth. They are models for describing reality, and they aren't necessarily correct. Uh, they may uh, have, they're very close to being correct, and we test them to see how well, for instance, general relativity actually describes the universe that we live in. But any scientist's who understands what he's doing realizes that they're an approximation and that in time we may find refinements that we have to make to those equations in order to make them more accurately describe what we see, what we measure in the universe. Well, let's move to the, the last letter in our, our uh, acronym CLEAR, C-L-E-A-R. We've talked about cosmos life, ethics, abstraction. I want to talk about religion. And what's very interesting is that uh, the Apostle Paul in, in, in Romans 1, he says that people see, understand, and know that there's a God. They see, understand, and know. They infer, uh, they infer God's existence from looking at the complexity of the universe, the heavens declaring the glory of God. Uh, Romans 2 talks about the, the conscience. Um, and so, uh, John Calvin talked about, in light of Paul's statement, he says that we have 
what he called the census divinitatis. We seem to have a sense of the divine, an awareness of the divine. I, I want to read you just a, a interesting quotation uh, that I that I discovered uh, reading *Mere Christianity* uh, again. Uh, C.S. Lewis says said that um, uh, he said that when he was an atheist, he had to persuade himself, he had to convince himself that the vast majority of people who have ever lived were wrong about the thing that they believed in most. Um, you know, what, what, what does it say about the very nature of our existence when um, this seems to be a reality for, for, for so many people? Um, either, either something is not working somewhere. You know, are religious people deluded in this, or is there something that uh, the the atheist sees that other people don't see? But again, uh, religious experience. You know, you think about uh, the life of Jesus, and of course, uh, Easter, a critical uh, day in the church year. the The ultimate day of the church year is is Easter. I think about uh, reading the Gospels and, uh, you know, these miracles that Jesus performed. Um, lots of people recognize that uh, the Gospels don't fit well with mythical literature. Uh, C.S. Lewis made that point very clear, that the, the Gospels, whatever they are, they're not myth. And uh, they are written by people who are either eyewitnesses or close to eyewitnesses. So how could you have a supernatural reality? Well, all of these things, it seems to me, fit. they fit pretty well uh, when we're talking about uh, the Christian worldview. And so the idea here is that, uh, you know, these... These profound realities, you know, they need a they need a good explanation, and I think the Christian worldview does a great job of explaining these realities. I think other worldviews struggle with them. Uh, just on that last thought, uh, how would the atheist uh, explain that so many people have been religious throughout history? Yeah, that's a good question. I uh, I think I think many of them would say that uh, human beings are by nature uh, they're not uh, they're they're not tenaciously intellectually independent. Uh, I think they would explain it in terms of uh, you know tradition. It's just kind of been passed down. There is a, a lack of critical thinking. Um, I think they might say that, uh, you know, that science and, and the things in the emerging world have relegated religion uh, as to be not an option. Um, so I think, it, I think, Joe, they would probably go in some of those directions. But, you know, I, I, would, uh, I would challenge that idea. Um, I think that uh, logic and science, when they're appropriately applied, uh, you know, they fit pretty well with the idea of God. And um, the idea that human beings have, by and large, this, this awareness, I think, needs some kind of 
of ultimate explanation. By the way, um, this little quote that you mentioned of Lewis, it's in book two, the second section of Mere Christianity. And it says, if you are a Christian, you do not have to believe that all other religions are simply wrong through and through. If you're an atheist, you do have to believe that the main point in all the religions of the whole world is simply, simply one huge mistake. I just think that's a, a profound statement. Yeah. I read that just the other day. It kind of jumped off the page to me. Yeah. Well, we, we could also talk a little bit, guys, about, you know, how do we test these explanations? And, and, and obviously, you know, a good worldview has to be coherent. Um, uh, and again, testing a worldview for its coherence. Um, I'm not persuaded that a naturalist worldview can provide the basis for rationality. That kind of gets into what we call the argument from reason. But I would, I would say something similar about an Eastern mystical worldview. And then the idea of simplicity, um, uh, it's an important one. Oftentimes when we think about simplicity, we think about Occam's razor, but a, a good explanation is simple, but it's fully orbed. That is, it explains the realities in the simplest possible way. Another test that uh, I talk about in some of my writings is the explanatory power and scope test. Uh, does the worldview explain the facts of reality and does it have a wide range? I think that the Christian worldview, theism in general, Christianity in particular, I think it explains a lot. Um, I think we see certain things in the world and, and we ask the question, um, uh, why, why do these things exist? And what we discover is that, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if God exists, then we should expect to see these particular things. If Christianity is true, we would see these things as kind of a, a matter of course. Um, and then, of course, uh, when you're talking about uh, best explanations, uh, is there a correspondence? Does it mesh with well-established truths? And does it have uh, competition? That is, can it adjust to new data? Uh, respond to new challenges, and so I like to I like to talk about these arguments. And uh, Joe and Dave, I want to make uh, a very I think an important point. That is, you don't have to reason this way. There are many people who would uh, engage in argumentation, and they would take individual arguments. They they would move from the cosmos and say, okay. Uh, I'm going to develop a cosmological argument. Uh, I'm either going to base it on uh, the beginning of the universe, we call that the Kalam, or uh, the the idea that why is there a universe at all? Uh, other people move to particular design arguments, moral arguments. What I'm doing here is saying, look, I think when you bring all of these areas together, uh, the idea that God exists and the idea that Christianity is true seems to have a lot of explanatory power. Uh, it it uh, illumines the, the, the world in, in which we live. Hence, the best like explanation. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. 
that that's it. I just wanted to make a comment about uh, your point number two, simplicity. Uh, this in, the importance of balancing simplicity with complexity. I think a lot of the atheist arguments, their explanations for various things may be simple, but they are not complete. They don't they don't deal with all the issues. So they they leave out a lot of things in in their explanation that need to be included. And so they're going with something far too simple. Right. Yeah. And that's 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 the idea. Uh, you know, we certainly want we want something to be simple, an explanation. We prefer the simplest explanation, but it has to be an explanation that really does provide a, a breadth of of uh, explanation. And uh, I think the idea there, you know, God provides a, a very powerful uh, way of explaining. There, there are mysteries in the nature of God, but yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think we're, we, we move toward uh, a simple explanation, but one that's fully orbed. And another question on the idea of testing. Uh, sometimes a skeptic might charge the Christian with uh, just pulling out a Bible and saying, well, whatever's in the Bible, that's what I believe. Um, you're talking about uh, something more than that. I mean, just laying out the criteria here, that is, you're getting at a Christian worldview. So I wonder if you might comment on the idea of a worldview. Yeah. Worldviews, I think, are very, very important in life. I think there's a there's a couple of ways we can we can think about a worldview. One of them is to think of it as a conceptual system. Um, and so you'd have a a cluster of your most important ideas. What's your view of God? What's your view of knowledge? What's your view of values? Uh, what are the real critical issues that that uh, are so important that make up your your worldview? You could also talk about a worldview in terms of uh, a story of explanation. Um, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. In their writings, they they kind of give you a worldview, but they they're telling you a story. And then, of course, Christians often specifically talk about the Christian worldview that there are four successive events: there's creation, uh, there is fall, followed by redemption, followed by consummation, and uh, you know those carry it a, a great deal of weight. And so. Yeah, Joe, we're we're asking the question here, does the Christian worldview seem to comport with the nature of reality? And uh, I think it provides a very powerful way of uh, explaining things. I'd like to ask uh, Ken a question. I've had occasion recently to examine a little bit of this thing called critical theory. Uh, specifically critical race theory, but it, it's really broader than that. And there they want to, they, they refuse to acknowledge that this is a worldview that they're defending, but instead they want to just tear everything down. Any any uh, category of uh, truth or, or discussion or whatever, they want to just rip it to shreds. And uh, they think that as a result that we'll uh, invent something new, that some new area of freedom or 
or benefit to mankind will result from this. Uh, they refuse to call it a worldview. How do you respond to that? Well, I I think when we we look at these types of issues like critical race theory, uh, I, I I think it reflects I think it reflects a, a, a postmodern worldview um, rather than. Uh, rather than all of these realities like morality and truth and and benevolence being grounded in God, um, you know they they say there there is no objective basis for this, and so uh, since you can't prove any of these things, you you resort to kind of the practical everyday power. It's a power struggle. So I do think that. Uh, you know, critical race theory is just one component in a broader perspective about uh, can can we have objective realities? Now, of course, they raise things that I think are are important. I think it is important to talk about justice, but how how do you define justice? I think it's important to treat people with dignity and value. But how do you guarantee that human beings have dignity and value uh, apart from God? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you also raised the question, you know, um, is there is there any way in kind of uh, is there any way to kind of focus on the idea of 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 changing these types of realities? So, yeah, that's a that's an often talked about issue uh, and. I think that uh, it comes back to someone adopting uh, a much more postmodern worldview than than anything else. Mm. All right, well, guys, we have uh, we've talked about these clear ideas: uh, the C, the cosmos, L, life, E ethics, A, abstractions, R, religion, that these are clear pointers to to God. Um, You can read about this in a couple of my books. Uh, I write about it in A World of Difference. I write about it as well in Christianity Cross-Examined. And uh, Joe, do we have anybody who is uh, writing to us? I know we were not taking them there for a while, but uh, have we we gotten any mail? Yeah, yeah, we got a, a comment here. Now that we're at the end of the podcast, just want to remind everybody in case you're wondering how to reach Ken, you can find him on his Twitter handle at RTB underscore case samples. Ken's on social media. Many of you find him on Facebook where Ken posts thoughts regularly and asks questions. So thanks for chiming in. Eventually those comments uh, there will make it here. So keep them coming. Uh, Here's a very fine comment that has come in, Ken, it's about a paragraph long here. Dear Kenneth, I probably needed to write to you a couple of years ago, as you may not know me, but you influenced me while I was going through a challenging time. I am an ex-Muslim, originally from Baku, Azerbaijan, and I live in England. I believed in Christ 24 years ago. I discovered the RTB podcast in 2019 and was going through difficulties regarding the ministry in which I was involved. I have been taught what to think instead of how to think. It was a crucial moment for me 
as your podcast helped me through my thinking process and rewired my approach to certain topics. This was particularly helpful during the lockdown. I listen to your every podcast plus the old podcast. God bless you, brother. Niall. Well, you know, Ken, you got a comment on that? Yeah, I there's a couple thoughts that run through my mind. Uh, one thought I have is, you know, uh, I didn't grow up with the internet. I didn't grow up with social media. The idea that uh, that somebody who lives in Azerbaijan could uh, tune into our podcast. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things about the web and social media that I don't like, but that's that's really remarkable. And and I also think this is a person who was at one time a Muslim. Uh, and I love the idea. You know, we talk about it a lot. Um, we, we don't want to just tell people what to believe. Uh, we want to help them uh, to think for themselves. Uh, and that's an awfully important thing to do today, to be able to question. Um, I'm concerned that we live at a time in which even in our great universities, there is a lot of propaganda. and. Uh, you know, uh, be fiercely independent. Uh, do it. Don't do it graciously. Don't don't be a, don't be a jerk. Uh, but show some intellectual uh, fervor in that kind of context. But uh, I'm I'm really blessed by that, and I I I know there are a lot of shows we've done. So he's no doubt listened to a lot of them. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, thank you for that comment, uh, Niall. Uh, keep those comments coming. If you don't subscribe to the Reasons to Play podcast, please do so. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. And then you'll get an episode of Clear Thinking delivered to you each week. For Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with Reasons for Faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at Reasons.org.